you will, open up your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. I, uh, I work with about 71 churches, um, church plants, existing churches in Central Association. Uh, we cover a, a geographical area from Vaughan uh, down in the southeast all the way up to outside of Cuba in the northwest. So we cover a large area. We have churches of various sizes, uh, various uh, types of health. Uh, different struggles, but each one is unique, and each one has challenges. And when churches are going through things, which we all go through, um, sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't like change. And I, I, I stop them, and I'll say, you know, I don't like that term, change. I, I like transition, because we go through a series in our lives and as a body of Christ through different seasons. We don't always understand how we get from one season or why we're in one season or another, but we go through seasons that God is in charge of and that he takes us through. And, and there's a reason why he does that. And we're really, we're just transitioning from one season into another. And that's why we can trust the Lord to know what he's doing and why he's doing it. And that through this, we will grow in our faith and dependence upon him. And we won't lose the joy and the peace of God and the purpose for what we're here for. Because we can get distracted. And so this morning, um, I'm going to look at a passage with you. But I'm preaching on servant leader because... At the end of this service, we'll be having an ordination. And really, an ordination is an affirmation of the body of Christ acknowledging and seeing in a servant leader what God has called them to do. And so we are affirming that. We're, we're saying we, we see God's calling in your life and we are affirming as a body of Christ that calling and his working in your life. And that's always an exciting thing. It's a very challenging thing as, as somebody surrenders to that and as a church affirms it. And so I'm excited that, that we're able to do that and be a part of that this morning. But I want to talk to you this morning about the servant leader because not only does it apply to each and every one of us, but it specifically applies to those who are called by God to serve him and Christ's church. And to understand that is, is to embrace it. You know, one thing is to have knowledge. Another thing is to have taken that knowledge and put it into our life in a way that God is glorified and it impacts others for Christ. I don't know if you have ever thought about how many people impacted your coming to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. People that maybe had prayed for you for maybe years. People that you encountered. Some divine appointment that took place uh, where they interacted with you. God brought them into your life. Uh, somebody that specifically sought you out to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. People who wept over you. Uh, we can look way back into the history of the church and those who have fought as servants of God to help provide us with the scriptures that we have that, that translated them, that were the martyrs of the faith. 
There is a whole series of, of things that we can look at to show how servant leaders of God have endured great trials and persecution to get us to where we're at today. And the characteristics and the purpose of what we're here for is what's important about this passage this morning. And so I'm going to run you through about four different things, four truths that I want to share with you. And I'll go ahead and give those to you up front and then we'll go back through them. And we're going to look at the ser servant leader, our position in Christ, our responsibility, our goal, and our strength. Those are the four things that I want to touch on this morning and, and try to get all that in. Now understand that because we're having an ordination service here uh, at the end of this message, I'm, I'm kind of condensing things a little bit. So we're not going to flesh everything out quite as uh, thoroughly as we might normally do. So in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, Paul writes to the church at Colossae and he says this, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints." To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect or complete in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Paul is really sharing about what God had called him to do and all that he was doing in order to fulfill that. And, and on this occasion, we're, we're understanding that what he had in his life and what God called him to is not different than what God has called each and every born-again believer to as well. We don't come into the kingdom and then sit back and do nothing. We are called to be servant leaders. And you're either leading somebody toward Christ or you're leading them away from Christ. There's no middle ground. And so as we look at this and we look at specifically how that impacts those who are called by God to lead, I want to draw out those things that I've mentioned already. And the first thing is our position. What is our position as a servant leader? And it's a position of humble service. We are stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We are to humbly serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't put our own agendas together. We don't formulate our own ideas or opinions. We take the word of God and we take the direction that the Holy Spirit leads us and we embrace everything that we encounter with that. So we are humble servants of Christ. His ambassadors, the Bible says, 
that we are. And as an ambassador, as a servant, in humility, we take what he reveals to us and he share, we share that with others. And it comes by the commission of God. Now notice that Paul says this, he rejoices in what he suffered. In other words, he wasn't rejoicing because he was just taking on all kinds of persecution and all kinds of opposition, but he rejoiced in the fact that he was called worthy to be able to take the gospel to the lost community in the lost world. And whatever that involved, he was okay with. Because he understood that it wasn't him really that was being persecuted. It was those who were trying to persecute Christ himself. And he was the conduit through which they were doing it. And he was called and saw himself as being worthy of that suffering in regards to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of the body, which is the church. He did that for that purpose. Then he says, I have become its servant, diakonos. It's the same word we get deacon from, but it has the idea of one who, who brushes up the dust off of a table at the end of a meal or when cleaning up. It's that kind of humble servitude that, that does the things that nobody else wants to do, but we have a heart to do because we're serving Christ. It doesn't matter what it is that we're doing, it's how we're doing it and the heart that we're doing it with. And too often we get caught up in, well, I'd rather be doing this, or I'd rather be doing this, and God is saying, I need you to be the humble servant I called you to, and you just sweep up the tables. And you rejoice in that. And if you face persecution, if you face opposition, rejoice in that. I think always of Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and the reason that he endured it and he had joy in it was because of the outcome that it brought, the consequence. By Christ going to the cross, he paid the price, even though re rejected and beaten by man. When God turned his face and he took all the sin upon him, and he overcame that sin through his, his resurrection. He knew the outcome. And listen, as you are a humble servant of the Lord's, no matter what you face, no matter what kind of opposition, no matter what frustrations are involved, understand that if the consequence of all of that is that one person comes to faith in Christ, there is great joy in that. And as we see things the way Paul sees them and the way God reveals them, it helps us to stay focused. And it says that he, by the commissioning of God, and it has the idea of being a steward. Being a steward of what God had entrusted to him. Understand that we don't own anything. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> you don't own a thing. Everything you have is what God has entrusted to you. All your possessions, all your education, all your Bible knowledge, everything you have, God has entrusted to you to be a good steward. The community you live in, God has put you here to be a steward of the message and the gospel of Christ to go out into this community and reveal Jesus Christ to them in word and in deed. So we have to be a good steward. We're commissioned by God to do this to present the word of God in its entirety or in its fullness. And that is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages. And, and the mystery simply is that Christ came and opened up the kingdom to heaven to every single person, whether Jew or Greek, bond or free, male or female, it didn't matter. The mystery was that God 
brought his son to this earth. He died on a cross, rose from the grave, and every person can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Doesn't make sense to some, but then God doesn't always make sense to most of us. That mystery had been hidden for ages, and it was now disclosed. To them, God chose to make among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Humble servant. If you were to, say, gauge yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, where do you think you'd fall in that humble servant? mode and I think a better question is how would others see you as a humble servant and how would they rate you when I do marriage counseling we study 1 Corinthians 13 and I have the husband and the wife take and identify all the different things that love is and love isn't and then I have them rate each other where are you on a scale of 1 to 10 as you see yourself? And where do you think your spouse sees you on a scale of 1 to 10? They do that separately. And then we come together. And this is when I spend a lot of prayer before we meet. Um, because, <laughs> and I've got some scars, but uh, they've healed. But it's interesting how we think we are as opposed to how other people see us or perceive us. And really, we don't base how we respond to things on other people. We certainly need to, to see ourselves the way Christ sees us. And he is, he is the one that we are to please. So humble servant. We need to be humble servants as servant leaders. Whether you are a new believer, whether you're a mature believer, a growing believer, whether you're in leadership, that needs to really be the most important thing that we focus on is that humble servitude. The Bible says that we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. There's no greater joy than to be able to serve in humility the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a divine mission and a divine purpose, but it will only really be accomplished as we humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing is our responsibility. What is our responsibility? It's really simple revealed in this passage, and that is to proclaim Jesus. Look at verse 28. We proclaim him. We're not proclaiming how wonderful our church is. We're not proclaiming how great our Bible study is. We're not proclaiming how awesome the worship is. We're not proclaiming what a great guy I am, and we're just fun to be with. <laughs> you don't know me, so you can't say oh, that's not true, but we proclaim Jesus Christ and him alone. And when we go out into a lost community, they need to see Jesus in us, not just how we talk about Jesus or what they, we tell them about Jesus. We want to reflect Jesus in such a way that they see him for who he is, not who they perceive him to be. Proclaim Jesus. That's the gospel. I think about how every time someone encountered Christ, 
when they left, they went and told someone else. Think about the shepherds in Bethlehem. They went down to the manger. They saw the baby Jesus. And the scripture says that they went and told everyone everything that they had seen. You think about the early church in Acts chapter 8 after Stephen had been martyred. It says that the church scattered and they went and told everyone. I think about the woman in Samaria when Jesus had a divine encounter with her. And he met her at the well and he told her things about herself that she didn't even want to admit. But she ran back into the city and told everybody that here's, here's a man who told me everything I ever did. Maybe he's the Messiah. She believed. They came out, invited Jesus to come back for two days in, in Sychar. And many people believed that was the most unique thing because they were Samaritans. Uh, they, they were not accepted by the Jews. And yet Jesus revealed himself to them. When we encounter Jesus, we ought to be out telling everybody what we have seen and heard. And in 1 John, that's what he writes about. That which we have seen and heard, which we have held in our hands, which we have seen with our eyes. That we proclaim to you, that you also might have fellowship with us. Proclaim Jesus Christ. How we do that is through ministries, through interactions, through building relationships. All of those things are important. But Jesus Christ must be the main focus of who we are sharing. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We do that verbally. We do it by living life. We do that by meeting needs of people in our community. And then he mentions a couple of specific things. He says we do it by admonishing. That means to put in mind or to warn gently. It means to set things in, in, the, in order in the mind. The idea here is that every person would have opportunity to consider Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. He says we do it by teaching. And the idea here is one of systematic ongoing teaching. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why you have your K groups. That's why we have fellowships. That's why we get together and have events where we can learn and understand more about God's word and how to apply it. And then the second part of that is that we have to go apply it. Too often we can become spiritual gurus and we can recite scripture after scripture and verse after verse and have absolutely no earthly impact or no eternal impact on the lives of people around us. But we know everything about the word of God. Listen, if we have all that knowledge and we aren't doing something with it where it's impacting the lost community around us, where we're going out and sharing our faith and we're ministering to needs, then we only have half of it. And really, we're spiritual gurus up in a cave that have no, no impact on community at all. We have to take what we've been told and learn and what we've studied, and we need to use it. We take our spiritual giftedness, and we put it to use in ministry. And every single person has spiritual gifts, and every single person ought to be involved in some form of ministry, whether it's in a prayer room because maybe they can't go out and do something, or whether it's out in the field, or whether it's in the community or around the world. We have that focus of missions and ministry that we must embrace and we must participate in because God expects that of us. We do all of this by prayer and training 
and prioritizing our life. A lot of times when we look at what we need to be doing as opposed to what we're presently doing in our own personal lives, we're trying to fit some things in around all the other events of our life. And I kind of believe that maybe God would appreciate it if we looked at what he called us to do first and then tried to fit some of our life events around that. Servant leaders are submissive leaders. They have surrendered to the will of God and the purpose of God and the plan of God. And everything else is built around that so that God will accomplish what he needs to through us. And then it says to do this in all wisdom. And this means that, uh, that he gives us the wisdom to make the decisions, to do the things that we need to do, uh, uh, to, to go out into the world and through prayer and training, um, go out and accomplish what God has called us to do. Number three, our goal. And I love this passage. We've talked about the evangelistic side. Now, number three is our goal, that we might present them to the Father. That we might present them to the Father. Now, notice he says that we might present them to the Father complete or mature in the faith. Fully mature. It's, it's a situation, the way that that is written and the terms that are used, it's as if you are bringing somebody up to the throne room of God and you're standing there with them. Because we are stewards of what God has given us and stewards of the community around us, we have a responsibility to go out and not only share the gospel, see people come to faith in Christ, but then embrace them and raise them up to maturity to help disciple them so that they can be reproducing disciples as well, that they can go out and live Christ and share Christ and it's as if we walk up and we're saying Lord we present him to you you entrusted this individual to us they came to faith in Christ we have taken them we have taught them we have trained them we have walked with them and now we present them to you fully complete not sinless but mature believers in Christ and I think if we lack anything over years and years of ministry it's that we focus so much on reaching people, which we need to do, but we forgot totally about maturing them in Christ. We have not allowed that to be the main focus of what we are to do. Fully mature, fully complete, not just in knowledge, but also in their walk. Number four, our strength. Our strength comes from the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 29, he says, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in us. And you're familiar with the word labor, probably. It means to grow weary. Struggling is a word that has the, the root of being in agony. We do all of this through the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it in and of ourselves. And we cannot get in the way of what God wants to do with all of our junk. We have to get that out of the way. The Holy Spirit works in us and through us to accomplish his will. He strengthens, strengthens us. And remember, the Apostle Paul said that when he is at his weakest point, that's when he's at his strongest because the Holy Spirit is working in and through him the energy here is that which comes power, powerfully through the Holy Spirit 
So here's our challenge. Here's our challenge. Number one, proclaim Jesus Christ in his person and work clearly and passionately. And you know, you, you really can't share Christ passionately until you start looking at the lost world the way that Jesus sees them. And Jesus never looked at the exterior of a person. He never really even looked at the actions outside of those Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes who he confronted. But their heart was dark. When Jesus saw people, he saw their heart. And when we begin to see their heart as being lost and without hope in the world, that ought to, that ought to emotionally affect us. It ought to bring us to our knees in tears. And, and, and honestly, you can get so involved in ministry, and I've been there, and I, I still struggle with this. I can get so caught up in doing things, I forget about the heart things. And I don't see people as I should see them. I don't see them the way Jesus did when Jesus looked over Jerusalem, and it says that he wept because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When we start walking through our community and driving, and we begin to see people the way Jesus sees them, then we begin to, to carry that burden for them. And that's what drives the passion for them to know Christ. So that when we share with them, we're not just sharing some formula or some, some scripture that has no, no meaning to them personally, but that they see our heart and that heart relationship begins to break through. The Holy Spirit uses that. Proclaim Jesus. Secondly, proclaim Jesus with the goal of making them disciples of Christ, not just getting them into the kingdom and then walking away, but embracing them, engaging them, inviting them, walking alongside of them, let, letting them see what Jesus is in life and how he will walk with them and strengthen and guide them and grow them. We, we have to take responsibility for that, and I believe one day we will stand accountable when we have not done what God has called us to do. And number three, work diligently. Understanding that God will give you the energy and the power to accomplish what he has set before you. And it doesn't matter where you've been up until this point. It matters where you go from here forward. Paul said, I forget that which lies behind and press on to that which lies ahead for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, we can let all the past and all the misery and all the things we didn't do and should have done be a hindrance for us to move forward in serving Christ. But Paul said, just forget that. Start now. Move forward. Proclaim Jesus. Make disciples and put your energy into it with a passion that Jesus Christ has given us. Well, in kind of a cliff note version <laughs> of this passage, I hope that maybe the Lord has pricked your heart, that, that maybe he has, has, has stimulated something in you about being a servant leader. Proclaim Jesus is a very simple thing where we help someone understand how much God loves them and how separated they are from God because of their sin. There's a great gap. They have no hope in the world. They will not live eternity with, with God through Jesus Christ. And so we help them to understand that they're sinners just like we are sinners, that that sin separated them, that there's not a thing that they can do about it. If they took all the good works from the beginning of time until the end of time and put them all together in a heap, it would not bring them one inch closer 
closer to the Lord. It's only through Jesus Christ who paid the price on the cross that we could never pay ourselves. He paid that price through his body, through his shed blood, and he died our death willingly. And then he rose from the grave the third day, overcoming sin and death. And and any person who will come to him by faith, any person who will acknowledge their sin and trust in him and believe that what he did on the cross was sufficient to pay that price can pray and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I acknowledge my sin. I want to turn from my life. I want to follow Jesus. Come in and give me salvation. Save me. Forgive me. And give me that assurance of everlasting life. Maybe you're here this morning and that's what you need to do. It's not about being part of a church. It's about knowing Christ. It's about having hope, having a new life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Maybe you need to do that this morning. We're going to bow our heads here for just a minute. And believers, listen. You know people who are lost. Maybe some that are here. Pray that God will give you a burden on your heart to pray for them passionately, to engage them gospelly, and to grow them in discipleship. And that he'll use you as the mechanism, as the servant to accomplish his will.